0: My name is Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach program planning and evaluation for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. I offer lessons from our course reading to help you build strong knowledge and skill in order for you to be a successful program planner and evaluator. We'll talk about the difference between a process evaluation and an outcome evaluation. In the previous episode, we talked about five domains of program evaluation, but very often you'll see it defined or just divided into two types process, outcome. You might hear the term formative in place of the term process, and you may hear outcome evaluation defined as impact evaluation. Now, each of these are unique types of evaluation, but sometimes people use these terms differently. When you go into the field and you're talking to your colleagues, maybe you're taking another class on evaluation, or maybe you hire an evaluator to come into your organization, or maybe you've applied for a foundation grant um, or a federal grant, and they want an evaluation conducted. Um, you're gonna see some blurred lines between these terms. So don't get too hung up on exact definitions when it comes to types of evaluation. And you'll even see with the long-term, intermediate term, and short-term outcomes, some blurry lines when you actually get out there and do outcome evaluations in the field. Um, But let's talk about these two, and I'll give you an example of a process evaluation that I conducted. Let's get started. A few years ago, the Illinois Association of Community Action Agencies hired me to conduct a process evaluation of their community action agencies around the state. Now, community action agencies should sound familiar because earlier this semester, you reviewed the needs assessment for the community action agency in Springfield, Illinois. They hired me to look at those documents across the state to do a study on how well the organizations identified the needs in the community, defined activities that met those needs, and then met the outcomes as defined by the federal agencies. They gave me 37 documents, like the one that you read, and I took a representative sample of nine. So I pulled um, some from Chicago, I pulled some from small towns, I pulled some from near St. Louis, I pulled from the suburban towns like uh, Bloomington, and some of the more rural towns that were closer um, kind of on the border to Kentucky. And so there there were a total of nine, and these were their 2016 Community Action Plans. So every several years, they're supposed to create this action plan with those components I described. And so they conduct their needs assessment with the surveys from various stakeholders, focus groups, and then some more community indicator type data, with demographic information, poverty, crime, housing data. And then the middle section of that report, sections three through eight, links the needs to the programs that they provide. And so they want to make sure their activities are related to what the community needs. And then the last section are the community service block grant outcomes. And these are defined at the federal level. Um, In order to receive money, these community action agencies have to um, meet some of these outcomes. Not all of them, but those that are related to their community. So of these nine organizations, they ranged um, from quite small to quite large. The smallest had $450,000 budget. The Largest had a $16 million budget. That large one was in Chicago, and it was a state agency or a city agency in Chicago in uh, Cook County. The employees ranged from five to 238. The number of volunteers was uh, one organization had zero. The largest had 3,700. And the range of people served was from 1,000 all the way up to 105,000. So, in their service area population, those in their communities range from sixty nine thousand, really small area, to three hundred seven thousand. So, I took this these reports, all nine of them, and I created a logic model and put the components into kind of a logic model uh, diagram. So, I have for their inputs; those are the CSBG funds, the Community Service Block Grant funds that they get from the federal government. And then the local identified need, uh, that's section two that you read earlier this semester. So that went into the input category of the logic model. And the activity section went sections three through eight, and this was the community action agency designed programming. And then for the projected outcomes, that was section eight, where we have the outcomes as defined. So we'll come back to this, um, this study later in the episode. Uh, but first let's spend some more time talking about what process evaluation is and how you can conduct one. Then we'll circle back around and I'll talk about the findings, some of the struggles conducting this process evaluation. Process evaluation is a type of formative evaluation. You might also hear it called an implementation evaluation. It focuses on three key areas – what is the program intended to be, what is delivered in reality, and what are the gaps between program design and delivery. Program evaluation – or process evaluation – uses empirical data to assess the delivery of programs, in contrast to outcome evaluation, which assesses the impact of the program process evaluation verifies what the program is and whether it's being implemented as it was designed thus our process evaluation asks what and the outcome evaluation asks so what so if you're at your computer google logic model uh, when you pull up logic model click or when google provides you your results click on images and look at the variety of approaches to uh, logic modeling. You'll see all sorts of different types. The one that you use uh, for your project coming up soon focuses on outcomes. We don't really talk a lot about the inputs or the outputs in that particular design. We're focused more on activities and outcomes. But if you look at some of these examples that you just pulled up on Google, You'll see there's a lot more going on on the left side of the logic model. And that's our focus with process evaluation. We want to look at inputs, activities, and reach or outputs. That's where we're going to focus this first half of the podcast episode. Now, process is the key to achieving outcomes. Without a high quality, well-designed, and well-implemented program, no outcomes will be achieved. So, why is process evaluation so important? Well, it helps us determine the extent to which the program is being implemented. It helps us assess and document the degree of consistency and variability in program implementation, um, expected or unexpected, planned or unplanned. It helps provide validity for the relationship between implementation and the outcomes. It provides managers feedback on the quality of implementation and it can help us re- refine our delivery components. It can provide programs um, accountability to their sponsors, to the public, to their clients, to their funders. And it can improve the quality of program the program during implementation. So It tells us some really important things that are beyond simply does it work, but how does it work? And is it doing what it was designed to do? Process evaluation helps us get into the who, what, when, where, how, and why. The who is the people that we serve, the people working in our program, our sponsors, a variety of our stakeholders, people that are involved in the provision of the program um, or the recipients of the program. This could be our target clients. It could be population in need that we are serving or that we're not serving and we should be serving, we want to know how many people have participated, how many people dropped out, how many people have declined participation, who delivers a service or staff qualifications. Uh, if we're providing some sort of therapeutic services, um, who do we need to run those programs? And are those people qualified to run those programs? How are they hired? How are they trained? How supportive are staff and management of each other? These are the types of questions that we could ask in a program evaluation. It's really important to know that if our population in need, let's say is 100 people, and we're only serving 10 of them, it'd be important to find out what's going on with the other 90. Why aren't we serving this population in need? And a process evaluation can help us answer that question. Or maybe of the 10 people that we're serving, Four of them dropped out of the program before it was completed. Why did they drop out? How? What component either didn't keep them in the program or turn them off from the program? Was there no follow-up? Was it hard, um, too hard to access the program so they dropped out? Um, this can help us get into kind of knowing who, defining our who can help us get into those answers. Next question is what? What happens with a program implementation during program implementation what is being delivered what are the methods of delivery for each service so if we have a complex program which typically you will find in public and nonprofit programs what are each of the methods for delivery of each of those services what technologies are in use whether it's technology in the sense of computers or some other tool what tools are used What is the reputation of the agency and the community? What about the program within the agency? What are the linkages between each of the program components? If there's a part A and a part B, what are the linkages between those parts? Another question we can ask is what is the cost of implementing the program? That gets us into cost of space, cost of materials, staff. Cost for incentives for participants. Are we paying them to participate or do they get some sort of benefit? And what is the cost of travel to provide services or for the people to come access our services? Next question is when. There's all sorts of when questions that we can ask in a process evaluation. When is each program component implemented? How frequently is each program component, component implemented? I gave an example in the last podcast about an after-school literacy program. How frequently are students receiving literacy support services within the program was a question that I asked. So we had looked to see if it's daily or once a week um, or once a month. At what interval? How long are those, those interventions? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? Is it maybe 10 minutes? What time of day, week, month, or year? If you have program participants taking the program in the afternoon versus the morning or maybe the evening, is there a benefit to that individual taking it at a certain time of day that might impact the potential outcomes? Next question is where? Where do the program components occur? What type of facility is used? What is the age and the condition of the facility? And what part of town is the facility? And is it accessible to the target audience? I've been in towns um, that have that, the the NIMBY, not in my backyard, that acronym, where the homeless shelter will get pushed around town to different areas of town. And of course, more folks who are homeless are going to be near the center. And some folks want to push it out of town, out into the country somewhere. Um, but those types of services, if they're pushed out to a rural area, there's not transportation available to folks to get to those homeless services. So it would it make sense to put the facility far outside of town if there wasn't a bus service or some sort of transportation service to get to it. So, That's the type of question we might ask um, or examine in a process evaluation. We might also ask, does the facility have infrastructure and other services needed by the participants? Is it ADA compliant? Is there parking available? Is there child care available? If we're offering a support group to single mothers in the evening, um, is there child care available? If not, I doubt you're going to get very many single mothers at the event. Do you have dinner available for the kids while the moms are in the group? Do you have some sort of support program for the children at the same time? Why questions that we might ask, or why are these program components or strategies implemented? Why are we doing this? Why are each of the components included? Why and what were other program components considered during the planning? How did we rule out other possibilities? You're doing this now with your what works, or you just did, with your what works assignment. You looked at different possibilities to address the problem that you defined. and Think about how you narrowed in on the right one. Why did you choose that, the one that you chose? There's many examples. Um, and so that's a question we might ask. Why has each program component varied in ability to maintain interest? Why are clients not participating? Why is a program component conducted at a certain time or at a certain frequency? These are a series of questions that we might ask. There are some important lessons. It's critical that program process or implementation is high quality. If it's not high quality, we're not going to get the strong outcomes that we want to receive. And so here we go, going back, think about implementation failure. That's what we're wanting to address here. Process evaluation helps you understand how and why a program works. And the process information will be essential to replicate your program. If you're doing a really great job and you want to replicate it in another town um, or another part of town, another school, another center, We need this process information to make sure we replicate it exactly the same and make any adaptations that we need to make. But this will help us define what those might be. Outcome evaluation is a systematic method of collecting and analyzing relevant data to assess the effectiveness of a program. It's popularly viewed as the essence of evaluation. How a program's success is defined and measured determines the degree to which it's viewed as effective. So the purpose is to measure changes and establish the program contributed to these changes. So we've got causation. We can do this through randomized controlled trials, um, through experimental design. We can look at correlation through quasi-experimental design, pre-post surveys. Um, And we can look at the unintended outcome. Now, go back to that tab where you Googled logic model and pulled up all those images of logic models. So, we are focusing with program or with outcome evaluation or summative evaluation on the right side of the logic model. We're looking at um, the impact, so our short, medium, and long term outcomes. That's what we're talking about now. So, the benefit of outcome evaluation or the benefits of outcome evaluation is that they allow social service organizations to strengthen program services and identify training needs for staff. They help understand program success and identify the most effective strategies. They help us develop long-range, long-range plans for the program and bring programmatic issues to the attention of stakeholders. They can help us attract additional funding to the program. Some of the pitfalls of outcome evaluation Um, is maybe the selection of outcomes may influence program delivery in a negative way. For instance, teaching to the test. Teachers may feel pressured to teach FCAT skills at the expense of others in the K-12 classroom. Another pitfall of outcome evaluation is the corruptibility of indicators. Staff may unintentionally or intentionally influence the reporting of the outcome. For instance, staff might encourage the correct answers To a survey, Um, or participants may want to please the staff. Another pitfall is interpretations may be inaccurate. For instance, staff or an evaluator may not understand the findings, leading to an incorrect conclusion, telling us our program is effective when maybe it's not. Another pitfall is over-reliance on outcomes may be premature or may be done without understanding important process variables. So for instance, a program might measure outcomes in the first six months of existence before it's ready, before the program is really robust. In your part three assignment for your group projects, the logic model that we use has three levels of outcomes. Now, some of the logic models that you use in the future may not have all three levels, but each one is distinct from each other. And it's important that we learn these so that when you are defining outcomes in the future in your programs, you can know exactly what it is you're trying to capture. So the short-term outcomes, these are a change in knowledge, attitudes, skills, or aspirations. We're not capturing a change in behavior just yet. We just want to know that we've changed knowledge or skill um, or understanding kind of our perceptions. Intermediate level outcomes, this is where we're getting to behavior change and decision making. The long-term outcomes, these are changes in conditions or status. These align often with their goals. This is the, the larger change we want to see in the individual, the group, or the community. But it takes change in knowledge, a change in behavior or decision making in order to get to that change in condition or status. If we don't define the first two components, the short-term and the intermediate, and we just jump to the long-term, we may not have all the information that we need um, to develop the program, to develop our evaluation. So our short-term outcomes, these are our skills, attitudes, and knowledge. So for instance, Girl Scouts can identify local birds by sight. That would be a change in skill. Their attitudes might change. Girl Scouts no longer think science is boring based on the program. Or change in knowledge would be Girl Scouts know what local birds eat and what predators they face. With our intermediate outcomes, an example maybe for a literacy program is that children read for pleasure over three hours per week. So we have the change in their behavior and we can measure um, that change. Sometimes our behavior is predicted behavior or reported behavior. Other times it's observed behavior. So if we're talking about um, maybe kids and a school program or after school program um, or a community program, the staff might be observing the changes in the kids or maybe a mentor might be observing. Um, If we're talking about a financial planning program, this often is reported behavior by the individual participating in it or reported, predicted behavior. The last level are long-term outcomes. These are conditions. So think about a smoking cessation program. An example might be the resident stop smoking after using improved access to reliable and understandable medical information. We know if they're going to stop smoking, there's going to be some knowledge change first, and then there's going to be behavior and decision-making change. Before we get to the point, our short-term goal is going to be uh, parents' increase knowledge on parenting skills and available resources. So they know uh, resources that are available, and they know what skills um, are important, and they know how to do them. But this doesn't mean their behavior is going to change. It just means their knowledge has changed. So our next level, our intermediate level, we see improved parenting and supportive networks. Our long-term outcome is safe and supportive environment for children. And that's the goal that we want to see. We want to have a safe and supportive environment for children. But we need first to change knowledge and build the networks and connections between parents and support systems. Let's go through another example. Let's talk about a ha- after school, a um, high school after school program, and the activity is the after school program that engages kids in digital media. So this isn't our goal; that's just what we're doing. We're engaging kids in digital media. An example of an intermediate goal for this might be the the project took the participants, so the kids, off the streets and immersed them in creative a creative learning process. Another intermediate goal might be project participants learned a marketable skill or a productive hobby. Now, most importantly, the long-term goal is if or when participants continue their learning process in digital media, they're highly likely to obtain high-paying tech jobs. Now, that's what's important. But before that, they have to build the, the skill and engage with the program. So indicators of program success, these are our surrogates for outcome measures. So indicators are concrete, specific um, descriptions of what will be measured. So the format for a good indicator, the frequency or the percentage of participants who will demonstrate this specific change. Another format might be the average level of of the mean of specific characteristic at time one, significantly increased or decreased at time two the main of the specific characteristic. So some examples might be for a child safety program, our outcome might be participants will make their home child safe. So we could walk into a home of a family that participated in the child safety program, and if we want to determine if the participants will make their home child safe, what would we need to mark down? What would we need to assess? What would we need to look at? What might be some of those indicators? Some indicators at the end of the program might be 85% of the participants installed supplies needed to have a child-safe home. Or maybe 65 of the participants removed household hazards. Or 100% of the participants have a list of emergency numbers posted in a visible place. Those things we can measure very cleanly and very clearly. These are our outcome indicators. They tell us that the home is now child-safe. There are four main outcome evaluation designs. First, experimental evaluations. These are randomized controlled trials to assess program outcomes by establishing cause and effect. Our clients are assigned to experimental control groups. This is the gold standard of evaluation design. However, it's not the most practical when we're in a nonprofit organization or a public agency providing a service to the community. When we have community members involved, they come in for a program and then they go home. We can't control for all of the factors that might be involved. So although it is ideal, it's not always the most accessible. Next type is a quasi-experimental evaluation. This assesses the program outcomes over time for a single group um, with a comparison group um, or we can compare it to population data. Third type is pre-experimental. We have no control group. This is the most common form. Um, We have our pre and post-test design, information is collected before and after treatment. This one's very common. Another one that you'll find in the field is the ex post facto. This is after the fact. It's non-experimental. It seeks to determine cause among existing differences. There's no control or comparison groups. Very often what happens is a funder or some stakeholder would like an evaluation of the program and then the program providers after the program has been provided say hey evaluator come in and help us evaluate our program and we don't have any of the data from before it was provided Um, we don't have a lot of the process information all we have is after the fact Um, there's no control there's no comparison group we just have to look to see if it worked now this is the weakest of the four designs but it is very common. The pre-experimental, those where we at least can get a pre- and post-test, pre- and post-survey, that at least gives us a baseline, but very often we don't have a control group um, and it's not as, we can't establish causality as we could in an experimental evaluation. So basically we have our population we would split it and maybe have one group that receives the intervention and one group that is our control group that doesn't receive the intervention. So they might be randomly split. Or um, another way to do this, would maybe in if you have multiple sites where your program is offered, your agency provides services, maybe you provide it in one location and not the other, and the other location is your control group. Um, And then after the program is provided, you collect outcomes for both groups. So that's ideal um, if you can randomly sort them. Next best would be no randomization, and that's where you're comparing maybe across one program from another one across town. Again, you capture the outcome for those that receive the intervention and the comparison group. So let's revisit the process evaluation I talked about earlier this episode. What I found in this study of community action agencies scattered around Illinois uh, was that in their action plans, their activities reflected mission fulfillment. Um, they designed their programs based on their missions, which were around alleviating poverty poverty and um, mitigating its effects. And so the activities that they provided addressed the needs of those living in poverty um, I didn't see a lot of performance measurement in going on with the programs across the board. They had outcomes defined, but they weren't clearly connected to what their programs were. And one big gap that I noticed with the needs assessment and the activities that they chose to provide at their organization, they asked what the their participants needed, what community members needed, but when they looked at the community indicators, Um, those sometimes said something slightly different, and they didn't really clearly bring those together at the end of the needs assessments to define what the program was. Uh, Most of the programs, or most of the programs that they provided at these agencies aligned with, um, either directly with local need or indirectly, there were a few programs that um, had programs that didn't connect with what was in their needs assessment, didn't align with the scope Of the need in their community. For instance, if they were, there is a large problem with hunger in their community, uh, if they only provided Thanksgiving dinner as an approach to address hunger in their community, um, I indicated that that was not satisfactory for the scope of the need locally. This kind of thing happens when you have older programs who've been around for a long time, their programs are established in the community. It's not as easy. To get rid of that program and start a new one based on the needs assessment in the act. Though that's the idea, um, these organizations can't pivot quite like that. So I made some recommendations um, to their program design um, that they should early intervention approach with youth should be prioritized in rural areas. That was something that was identified as a need, but not identified in activities. I said that their mission statement should be expanded a bit to address some of the goals that all of them reported that they want to achieve, but I advised them to make sure their mission statement included that information. I said that the Illinois Community Action Agency should survey program participants and explore programming based on various demographic findings. So instead of a customer satisfaction report, look more at the community indicators and design the survey's reflecting what the community indicators tell us about demographics, poverty, crime, health. And I recommended that the depth of the needs assessment be reduced so that they could collect less data. What I found in a couple of focus groups, the people who actually re- created these reports, the amount of work that was required to, re- to collect this data, develop this report, wasn't valued necessarily by the people who required the report. It took a lot of time away from program services to collect all that data. So I recommended that they reduce, reduce the depth of that needs assessment. And then lastly, I recommended um, that when the needs assessment, what what we found was some of the needs of the survey responses were low. Um, so I recommended rather than do use the survey data where the response rate was low, replace that with some more um, broader community indicator data, like demographic, poverty, health, and crime data found that the logic model tool was helpful in breaking apart this report and identifying strengths and weaknesses in these reports. And I made some recommendations to help them use these reports more productively and made recommendations for programming. The process evaluation was a fun project to conduct. I like studying documents. And so, as you can see from the one that you studied during the needs assessment activity, That's a lot of documents involved, and that's something that I really enjoy doing. The logic model tool was helpful in making sense of all of those and looking at the patterns across all of them and comparing them side by side. Let's get ready for your exam. I'll read you a question, and you pause the podcast, locate the answer, and then play the podcast to see if you got the answer correct. Name this type of evaluation. A systematic method of collecting and analyzing relevant data to assess the effectiveness of a program. It's popularly viewed as the essence of evaluation. This type of evaluation determines the degree to which the program is viewed as effective. Pause the podcast. This type of of evaluation is our summative evaluation or outcome evaluation. Question two, name this outcome evaluation design. This involves random assignment of participants to assess program outcome by establishing cause and effect. Clients are assigned to experimental and control groups. This is the gold standard of evaluation design. This is experimental quasi-experimental, pre-experimental, or ex post facto. Pause the podcast and identify the answer. If you said experimental, you've got it right. Question three. Process evaluation focuses on three key areas. Name those areas. Pause the podcast. The three main areas or focuses of process evaluation are what is the program intended to be, what is delivered in reality, and what are the gaps between program design and delivery. In this episode, we talked about the differences between process evaluation and outcome evaluation. We explored the value of both. In episode 5.3, you'll hear from Zoe Flowers about participatory and empowerment evaluation. You'll hear more about process evaluation in this in that episode but you'll hear about the relationships to potential outcome evaluations that could be conducted in the future